Section 86 of Mysteries of London, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Matea Bracic. Mysteries of London, Volume 4, by George W. M. Reynolds. A scene in a cab. Gentlemen, exclaimed the gallant Irishman, a man to introduce meself and friend to ye without any more bother or pother. My friend, then, gentlemen, is Mr. Frank Curtis, descended from a fine family and once possessed of large estates, all of which, by Jesus, he's managed to eat up as clean as if dirty acres were plum pudding. My name, gentlemen, is Captain O. Blunderbuss of Blunderbuss Park, Conmara where I shall be delighted to see ye any time ye may be after visiting old Ireland, and I'm at home. Permit me to shake hands with you, Captain O'Blunderbuss, said the young nobleman, and with you also, Mr. Curtis. You have rendered me and my friend a service which we cannot easily forget. And which we shall never seek to forget, added the baronet emphatically, and then there was a general shaking of hands inside the cab. Lord William Trevelyan next proceeded to inform his new friends who he and Sir Gilbert Heathcote were, and the reader may conceive the huge delight experienced by Captain O'Blunderbuss and Mr. Frank Curtis when they found themselves in the company of a real nobleman and a real baronet. "'And now, my lord,' said the gallant officer, "'will ye be so obliging as to explain to us what house that was where all the pother took place?' And what was the meaning of the pother itself? For, be the holy poker, we can't make head or tail of it. The fact is, responded, sir, responded Lord William Trevelyan, it was a madhouse. A madhouse, ejaculated Mr. Frank Curtis, starting as if stung by a serpent lurking in the straw at the bottom of the cab, while a cold tremor came over him, for it instantly struck him that he and his Irish companion had been instrumental in the escape of a couple of lunatics. A madhouse, repeated the captain, immediately entertaining the same idea, although not sharing the apprehensions of his friend. Neither more nor less, continued Trevelyan, perfectly unaware of the impression which his words had produced upon the two gentlemen, for, as the inside of the cab was quite dark, he could not observe the change that took place in their countenances. You, you, you don't mean to, to say, stammered Curtis, fidgeting uncommonly, and thrusting his hand outside the window to grasp the handle of the door, for he began to think that the sooner he emancipated himself from the cab, the better. You, you, hold your tongue, ye spalpeen, vociferated the captain, who, fully acquainted with the character of his friend, guessed pretty accurately all that was passing in his mind, for the worthy Irishman, on his part, was determined not to separate from his new friends, whether they were lunatics or not, until he had ascertained if anything was to be got out of them, either in the shape of money or whisky, or both. Hold your tongue, ye spalpeen, and let's hear what his lordship has to say upon the matter. Well, as I was informing you, gentlemen, resumed Trevelyan, who considered that a proper explanation was fully due to those who had acted such a gallant part in the late proceedings, 
the house whence you just now so effectually aided us to escape is a lunatic asylum and the men against whom you fought were the keepers and who who were the they lunatics asked frank curtis perspiring at every pore for the effects of the whisky which he had been drinking were completely absorbed in the terror that now influenced him by jesus and i won't have such questions put to my intimate friend his lordship and my particular friend the baronet ejaculated captain o'blunderbuss bestowing upon frank's ribs such an unmerciful nudge with his elbow that the gentleman who was made the recipient of the said poke writhed horribly in his seat proceed sir my lord i mean added the gallant officer who in spite of his civility towards the nobleman and the baronet firmly believed that they were lunatics and had usurped titles to which they had not the slightest claim nor right your companion asked me who were the lunatics asked trevelyan beginning to be somewhat astonished at the manner of his new friends well to tell you the candid truth myself and sir gilbert heathcote were supposed to be although i leave you both to judge whether there could have been the slightest ground for such an idea oh lord oh lord murmured frank curtis and again his hand which he had withdrawn when the captain nudged him was thrust out of the window to grasp the door-latch are you unwell my dear sir inquired sir gilbert heathcote in a tone of much concern for being seated precisely opposite to curtis he had heard the murmured ejaculations which had escaped that individual's lips yes very replied frank with a hollow groan be a see thin can't ye whispered the captain savagely in his ear at the same time favouring him with another barbarous nudge in the ribs oh it's nothing at all at all uh, with me friend uh, i can assure ye my lord and sir gilbert exclaimed the gallant officer aloud he's troubled with wazing in the throat when he's been after drinking an extra drop of fourteen and maybe the motion of the cab don't really agree with him bad luck to his nonsense well my lord you are after telling us that your lordship's own self and sir gilbert were belayed to the lunatics just so answered trevelyan and had not the affair proved a very serious one to my friend heathcote i should be inclined to laugh at the ludicrous manner in which it terminated heathcote was immured in that asylum under most treacherous circumstances a short time ago although i need scarcely inform you there was not the slightest pretence for the imputation of insanity be the holy poker and any one that's blind could see that same ejaculated captain o'blunderbuss oh lord again moaned frank curtis and he slyly and stealthily turned the handle of the cab door determined to rescue my friend continued lord william trevelyan i induced two medical gentlemen who are under some obligations to me and whom i admitted into my confidence to sign the necessary certificates to consign me to a lunatic asylum oh lord oh lord groaned curtis more deeply than before for even if he had hitherto entertained any doubt as to the state of trevelyan's mind the singular averment just made was quite sufficient to confirm him in the opinion that he was in company with a decided lunatic what the devil ails ye man growled captain o'blunderbuss proceed my lord i'm deeply interested in your lordship's narrative having thus obtained the certificates 
continued Trevelyan, I tutored my valet how to act, and he accordingly consigned me to the care of Dr. Swinton, the old gentleman whom you saw in a dressing gown and nightcap at the foot of the stairs. An arrant old scoundrel, I've no doubt, interjected the captain. It was necessary, under the circumstances, resumed Trevelyan, to fight Sir Gilbert's enemies with their own weapons. Cunning against cunning, duplicity against duplicity. That was the plan I adopted, and I affected insanity so well that the doctor was completely deceived. By the powers, this is excellent, ejaculated Captain O'Blunderbuss. It's not every one that could deceive a mad doctor so well. I really believe that he imagined me to be as mad as a March hare, said Trevelyan. And so you are, yelled forth Frank Curtis, suddenly throwing the door wide open and making a desperate attempt to leap from the cab, even at the risk of breaking his neck or fracturing his skull, for his terrors had risen to such a pitch that confinement in the vehicle along with two persons whom he firmly believed to be downright madmen had become utterly unendurable the iron grasp of the captain clutched him by the back part of his collar just as he was on the point of bounding frantically forth into the road and he was compelled not however without a struggle to resume his seat this proceeding on the part of frank curtis suddenly opened the eyes of both trevelyan and the baronet to the impressions which the recent proceedings had unmistakably and naturally made on the minds of their new friends as if a light had darted in upon them they now comprehended the cause of frank curtis's singular manner almost ever since they entered the vehicle and they likewise perceived though they did not rightly interpret the courtesy which had not only rendered captain o'blunderbuss so good a listener to the explanations given by trevelyan but had also prompted him to silence and coerce his companion as much as possible accordingly trevelyan and sir gilbert heathcote simultaneously broke out into such a hearty fit of laughter that frank curtis began to console himself with the idea that they were at least harmless while captain o'blunderbuss set them down as the merriest lunatics he had ever encountered in all his life and joined with unfeigned cordiality in their glee and so you really thought that we were mad exclaimed trevelyan as soon as he could compose himself sufficiently to speak oh not at all at all cried the captain but mr curtis firmly believes that we are neither more nor less than lunatics said the young nobleman enjoying the scene by jesus and if he dares insult your lordship and your lordship's friend by even suspecting such a thing he shall mate me to-morrow morning at twelve paces on Wimbledon common exclaimed the gallant and warlike gentleman really you excite yourself too much in our behalf captain observed trevelyan who saw plainly enough that o'blunderbuss was adopting just such a tone and manner as one would use to conciliate and soothe lunatics now tell us the truth my dear sir continued the young nobleman do you not think that if we were actually and positively crazy you and mr curtis cannot boast of being perfectly sane by jesus and that same is precisely what i've often been after thinking cried the captain determined to humour the supposed lunatics as much as possible as for frank curtis here he's as mad as the irish pig that wouldn't go on particular way save and except at such times that it believed it was being driven other as for myself bad luck to me 
or I'm not blowing to me own failings, and I know pretty well that I'm as cracked as any damned old likey tie kettle. The accommodating humour of Captain O'Blunderbuss, who unhesitatingly pronounced himself and his friend Mr. Curtis to be insane, under the impression that such an admission would prove highly gratifying to those to whom it was paid, produced such an effect upon the young nobleman and the baronet that they became almost convulsed with laughter, and it was indeed fortunate that this scene occurred, inasmuch as its extreme ludicrousness tended materially to raise the spirits of Sir Gilbert Heathcote after the wrongs he had suffered and the incarceration he had endured. It is impossible to say how long the equivoque and the consequent clarity would have lasted had not the cab suddenly stopped in front of a handsome house in Park Square. No, thought both Captain O'Blunderbuss and Frank Curtis at the same time. We shall say the bubble burst very shortly, and it will transpire who our two mad friends really are. The summons at the front door was speedily answered by the appearance of Fitzgeorge in his plain clothes and a couple of footmen in livery, all of whom had waited up the whole night in expectation of the probable return of their master. As for Fitzgeorge, he ran up to the door of the cab, and perceiving Sir Gilbert inside, exclaimed with unaffected delight, Thank God! Your lordship's scheme has proved triumphant! At these words, Captain O'Blunderbuss and Mr. Frank Curtis uttered involuntary ejaculations of astonishment, for they began to think that one of their new friends was really a nobleman after all, and that they might neither of them prove to be lunatics in the long run. Leaping from the cab, Trevelyan invited the gallant gentleman and his companion to enter the house, observing, with a laugh, however insane we all may be, we will at least exercise the common prudence of taking a little refreshment after all the hard work and momentous proceedings of the night in a few instants the captain and frank found themselves conducted into an elegantly furnished apartment in the midst of which was a table laid out with costly plate and spread with a cold repast consisting of dainties that made their mouths water even to gaze upon it was likewise a source of great satisfaction to the two gentlemen to behold a buffet well stored with wine and spirits, amongst which latter the captain had no difficulty in recognising some poteen of a real orthodox colour. The nobleman and his guests took their seats at table, and did ample justice alike to vines and to wine. Indeed, it was amazingly refreshing to behold the appetite with which the captain and Frank Curtis addressed themselves to the former, and the zest with which they partook of the latter. They no longer believed that either Trevelyan or Sir Gilbert was mad, and when the former gave them the whole particulars of the story, which he had only half finished in the cab, they laughed heartily at the misconceptions they had formed. Under the influence of the poteen, which was duly produced after supper, if supper such a meal could be called, as it was now long past three o'clock in the morning, the captain and Frank Curtis became particularly talkative when it appeared that, existing under grievous apprehension of certain formidable beings denominated sheriff's officers, they had hired lodgings in the classic region of Globetown, and that, having spent the evening and best portion of the night at the public house in the Hackney Road, they were taking a short cut homeward, past the doctor's house, when they became the witness of the scene wherein they immediately after bore so distinguished a part from these and other revelations which the captain purposely suffered to ooze out as if quite unintentionally 
Trevelyan and Sir Gilbert gleaned sufficient to convince them that their new friends were gentlemen under a cloud, and they were not sorry at having ascertained a fact which at once placed them in a position to testify their gratitude for the services of the night. Accordingly, after exchanging a few words in a low tone with Sir Gilbert, Lord William Trevelyan wrote something upon a slip of paper, and then addressed Captain O'Blunderbuss and Frank Curtis in the following manner. You will pardon me, my friends, for the liberty I am about to take in the observations I am on the point of offering. But it has struck Sir Gilbert Heathcote and myself, from certain words which fell from your lips in the excitement of convivial discourse, that you have experienced some little disappointment respecting the arrival of remittances, and we shall be alike honoured and rejoiced if you will permit us to use the freedom of friends under such circumstances. It is probable that a few hundreds may be of some trifling service to you at this moment, and it will prove a source of unfeigned delight to Sir Gilbert and myself if, in return for the generous aid you afforded us, we can in any way relieve you from a temporary inconvenience. Thus speaking, Lord William handed the slip of paper to Captain O'Blunderbuss, who, hastily glancing at it, as he folded it up preparatory to consignment to his pocket, observed that it was a cheque for five hundred pounds by jesus my dear friends he exclaimed addressing himself to the young nobleman and the baronet ye do things in such a handsome way that i don't know how to express my thanks at all curtis ye spalpeen he cried suddenly turning round upon his companion why the devil don't ye dream in making a speech on the occasion since my lord and sir gilbert have lent us five hundred pounds to relieve us from our temporary difficulties but i'll undertake to repay that same my friends he continued again addressing his words directly to trevelyan and heathcote the moment i receive me rents from old ireland and bad luck to him so here's after wishing us success and be down to all mad doctors say i having achieved this beautiful peroration captain o'blunderbuss tossed off at a single draught the entire contents of a large tumbler of scalding toddy and then rose to take his departure frank curtis who was in a most glorious state of mental obfuscation beholding two trevelyans two baronets two captains and heaven only knows how many wax candles was with some difficulty induced to stand upon his legs and his irish friend was more troubled still to make him use the aforesaid legs when he did get upon them however after some little persuasion and more threatening on the part of the captain frank curtis suffered himself to be led forth from the hospitable mansion as soon as trevelyan and sir gilbert heathcote were alone the former related to his friend the particulars of the various interviews which had taken place between himself and mrs sefton that lady's discovery of her daughter agnes and her removal to the villa at bayswater the baronet was profoundly agitated but it was with mingled surprise and joy when he heard those tidings relative to agnes he rose and paced the room with uneven steps and then reseating himself appeared anxious to make certain revelations or rather unbosom his mind to his young friend but feeling perhaps unequal to the task at that moment after the long hours of excitement through which he had just passed he said abruptly trevelyan i have matters of importance to confide to you but it shall be for another occasion i must now leave you 
It is nearly five o'clock. The morning has dawned some time, and I am impatient to repair to the villa at Bayswater. You will not take an hour's repose before you depart, inquired Lord William Trevelyan. Oh, I could not close my eyes and sleep again until I have embraced those who... But pardon me for this excitement, this agitation, exclaimed Sir Gilbert, interrupting himself suddenly. Tomorrow I will tell you all, everything, he added, pressing Trevelyan's hand warmly. And then you will better comprehend the feelings which move me now. Farewell, my dear friend, for the present. Sir Gilbert was about to take his departure when Fitzgeorge entered the room, and, addressing himself to his master, said, My lord, I had forgotten to inform your lordship that when I returned hither last evening, after leaving you at Dr. Swinton's, I found the Marquis of Delmore waiting. The Marquis of Delmore? ejaculated Sir Gilbert Heathcote. Yes, sir, replied Fitzgeorge. The Marquis appeared to be in a very excited state and was most anxious to see your lordship, continued the valet, again addressing himself to his master. I assured him that your lordship was gone out of town and might not return for a day or two, whereupon he almost flew into a rage with me for giving him such information. He paced the room in great agitation and asked me several questions relative to any ladies who might visit at the mansion but i answered that your lordship was not accustomed to receive visitresses at all at length he took his departure stating that he should call again in the morning at ten o'clock and take his chance of finding your lordship at home i understand full well the meaning of this visit on the part of the marquis said sir gilbert heathcote to trevelyan when the valet had retired but i have not time for explanations now my impatience to repair to bayswater is intense unseasonable though the hour is for arousing ladies from their slumbers one request i have however to make my dear trevelyan added the baronet and this is that you will not under any circumstances communicate to the marquis of dulmore the address of the villa occupied by mrs sefton and agnes be well assured my dear friend answered the young nobleman that the secret is safe with me the baronet wrung trevelyan's hand with the cordial warmth of deep gratitude and sincere attachment and then took his departure lord william lay down for a few hours and enjoyed the sound slumber until nine o'clock when he rose and dressed himself to receive the marquis of delmore punctually as the clock struck ten a handsome carriage drove up to the door, and the Marquis, hastily alighting, was immediately conducted into the drawing room where Trevelyan awaited his presence. End of section eighty six.